0: Welcome to the next episode of Strong, Badass, and Over 50, a podcast by women, for women, and about women who are over 50. <laughs> this is the place where we have conversations about all types of topics. Sometimes they're uncomfortable. Today we have a really interesting topic, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Randy, and I'm here with my fabulous co host, Donna. Hello. And today we are talking with Dr. Renee Davis, who is a physiatrist. We're going to be talking about pain and pain management. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Renee. Thank you. Thanks for being here.
1: So, Dr. Renee, where did you go to school? And did you know you, did you know what you wanted to focus on in med school?
2: Yeah, I, I went to Hahnemann uh, in Philadelphia, which is now Drexel University. And when I was in medical school, I didn't know what specialty I wanted, but fell upon the specialty of physical medicine and rehabilitation. And I did a rotation there one summer, spending my summer taking care of patients with catastrophic injuries, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries. And I just loved the approach to medicine, the rehabilitation approach to medicine. Um, and then I spent the rest of my career looking at all the other specialties and finding that it didn't excite me as much. Okay,
0: so can you, for the, for those of us who are not uh, doctors, can <laughs> you kind of explain what the field of physiatry really is? I mean, I know you mentioned rehabilitation, but can you tell us more about what yeah. physiatry is and, and what it isn't?
2: Yeah. Oh. So the field of physical medicine and rehab is enormous. There are so many areas that you could subspecialize in, and there's so much to know. Um, So the physical medicine part is all about, you know, the musculoskeletal system, using everything from medications, injections, physical modalities like ice and heat, using physical therapy exercises to treat patients to allow them to function better. And the rehabilitation obviously after you have any type of injury whether it's a knee injury or a stroke you need to get back to your former life or or be back in the community to some extent and the thing that sets physiatry apart is that we look at uh, the patient in a holistic way we are not looking at an organ system like a cardiologist is looking at a heart i'm looking at the whole person and after a person has an injury Or is in pain, I'm trying to fit them back into society. So you have to be very creative, but you have so many tools at your disposal. And I think that the thing that sets us apart is that we look at the functioning of people and functioning includes all of their body systems.
1: Mm, That's really interesting. And you mentioned tools. What are some of those tools that you use? (laughs) <laughs> yeah
2: so for now, so I'm in a multidisciplinary pain management group, and we utilize so many things to help people with chronic pain, everything from behavioral services, um, counseling, um, medications, nerve blocks, other interventional procedures where we can do things for patients as well as prescribe them other things like physical therapy chiropractor, acupuncture, massage. Oh, wow. So there are so many tools. Mm. That's really Um, interesting.
0: Is there a situation where somebody comes in and you say, we don't treat that? Like, are there certain types or issues with regard to pain that you just don't treat?
2: Yeah. No, we treat everything. And even if a patient comes in and it's something that we can't cure... We're, we're treating them because we're we're managing their symptoms or we're helping them teach them to manage their own symptoms. So there's always something we can do. OK, hmm. so what are some of the things that people come
1: to you to help them with? Yeah.
2: By far the most common pa- patient type that we see are patients with neck pain and back pain. And it, at any given time, 80% of the population is going to have low back pain at some point in their lives. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So that that's probably the most common one, followed by neck pain. The other thing, one of my areas of specialty is chronic migraine. I treat patients with chronic migraine headaches. And there are so many ways to do it. Again, starting from the behavioral, helping the patient figure out what their triggers are, to going to oral medications, to injecting Botox, for migraine headaches. Um, even to counseling teach patients how to reduce their stress because stress is the number one trigger for migraines.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Does that, This is just like a, a throwaway, but I'm so curious. Does anybody ever come to you claiming that they have migraines because <laughs> they want the Botox? Seriously. <laughs>
2: Um,
0: No (laughs) (laughs) Because you know It it costs a lot of money Just to go for the Cosmetic Botox But if I say I have headaches Will you give it to me For free you know
2: Or will my insurance Cover it Right yeah, yeah. So there's a whole list of criteria that you have to meet. And okay. a lot of times my patients come from it. neurologists. <laughs> so they've been vetted, they've been examined, and they've been diagnosed with chronic migraine before they get to me. So I know for sure they have chronic migraine. And then once they get there, there's a certain criteria that has to be fulfilled before the insurance company will pay for the Botox. Well, there goes our plan. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we, I
1: was going to say, well, no, what's the criteria? <laughs> you could we and then show up in my exam room. Exactly. That's my point. (laughs) So what are some of the things people can do for themselves when they are in chronic pain before they get to you?
2: Yeah. So I think that patients lack education. You know, when they come to us, they're looking for a passive approach. I want you to make me feel better, but really it's a joint effort. There are so many things we can do to help someone with their symptoms, but then half of it is falls back on the patient and the things that they need to do, which we teach them are to eat healthy, to exercise, (laughs) get to their ideal weight, and so important to stop smoking if they're smoking Um, In my practice, you know, my my patients, I have a large population of patients over the age of 50 and an even larger percentage of patients that are diabetic. So there, Mm -hmm. the whole healthy living and eating healthy comes into play, as well as exercise. So whether you have diabetes or not, those things are crucial. That's
1: where they come to me.
0: Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, this is interesting, Renee, because you are you're trained to treat people for their pain and you and as you discussed earlier you're treating the the whole person as a functioning kind of medicine doctor but you're not a nutritionist you're not a you're not a um a trainer so when you say you talk to them about eating healthy and exercising Is this just kind of like overarching, like you should eat healthy and you should exercise or do you ever actually get into more granular suggestions or do you have people on your staff that can help with those specific things?
2: Yeah. No, we don't have nutritionists. So, of course, we say eat healthy, get to your ideal weight. But with exercise for our back pain and neck pain patients, we have an exercise sheet, at least to send them home with something to get them started. Mm -hmm. And then we'll prescribe physical therapy and the physical therapist will evaluate them and give them a, a specific home exercise program. I see. Program. And for myself, when I see patients in the office and it's a very specific thing, like um, you know, a running injury, while I'm with them, I'll teach them a couple of stretches just to send them on their way. But you're right, Randy, we don't have nutritionists and we don't have the full staff, but we can lead them in the right direction to find it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting.
1: So I could send my clients to you and you can send yours to me.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> And and you know what we do is a team approach. Absolutely. A team approach, you know, the the patient will see see us and then we may have more people on the team. The patient is part of his or her own team and we all work together.
1: Right. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So how likely are you to prescribe drugs to a patient? And are you concerned about opioid abuse?
2: Yes, you know, that's first and foremost in our minds. And when someone comes in, We don't say, are you or are you not an opioid candidate? We First, we assess their risk. So with using a um, a survey, a a bunch of questions, we could assess if there would be high, medium, or low risk for opioid abuse, and then just have a baseline where we're starting from. Then we'll evaluate the patient, and we're going to try to do everything and use opioids as a last resort. And when we do get to that point, we use the lowest possible amount and then we don't go over a certain amount. And that's because of the opioid crisis. We keep our opioid prescribing to a minimum. So that being said, you know, if you have a patient, for example, someone who has really, really bad osteoarthritis of their knee and they need a knee replacement, and that's really, really painful. You can't walk. You can't sit. You can't even sleep with really bad arthritis. But the patient has really a lot of medical conditions, heart conditions, lung conditions, and they're not going to be a candidate for surgery. So the first line would be an interventional procedure. We have procedures where we can burn the nerves around the knee so the patient doesn't have pain. Mm. And if that doesn't work, then as a last resort, we would give them some low dose opioids, long acting opioids, so they can sleep, so they can function. And they, see, you hear me saying it, it's all for the purpose of functioning. Mm,
1: right. Okay. I like that.
0: You said um that there's a whole there's a survey that you give. You don't have to get into the, the every granular detail, but what are some yeah. of the things you ask to determine whether or not somebody is A candidate for opioid or not?
2: Yeah, so very basic things. Previous alcohol use, Uh, previous drug use, um, uh, domestic violence, history of that, mental illness, Hmm. history of depression. So all the things that would make someone likely to become addicted to opioids.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. I would never have thought of that. I mean, I don't people can lie. I was going to say, how do you know (laughs) they're they're telling the truth? I mean, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's another good question. So we do urine drug screening. So if someone comes in and we feel they're an opioid candidate, we'll test their urine that day before we prescribe anything. So we want to see what what they have taken. So So of course, we're not going to catch everything. But if they are using illegal substances, we may be able to catch that. And then, as we always say, that if the patient doesn't manifest their bad behavior on the first visit, they'll eventually hang themselves. It will eventually pick it up. Wow. So you're really
1: careful. I like that. It's good to know because I saw the movie Dope Sick. I mean, yeah. the, the show yeah. Dope Sick. That was pretty intense. Yeah. yeah.
2: So And so true. So true. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, as you know, um, my brother-in-law is an emergency room nurse, and he always tells us stories about people who are clearly coming in to get a fix. They're like, oh, my side hurts so bad, or oh, this hurts in my, and, and, and he knows just from doing it for so long that people are just coming in to get the drugs and they'll do wow. anything <clears> to get it. Wow.
2: Right. That's crazy. And that's true, Randy, when people come in and they, they, ha- they ask certain questions or they ask for certain things, it keys us in that they're drug seeking. So there is a host of questions or verbiage that we know that signal us that there may be something more going on. You know, just um, the other day, um, what was interesting is I had um, a-, a mom come in with her son and she was asking for the opioids for her son. And that didn't really sit well with me. Um, so although yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't put in the place where I had to say yes or no, I just picked up on it and says, you know, something just doesn't feel right here.
0: So what do you do in an instance like that? Do you tell her no, or do you say, I have to get back to you? Like, how do you navigate that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So actually we have this in our practice. We have a committee that sits and talks about who should be, um, who sh- who's a good candidate. So for example, if someone violated their agreement with us and misused their medicines, but they want their medicines back. We take them to committee and on the committee, we have the, the providers. We have a social worker. We have a doctor sitting oh, on wow. the committee and we discuss it. And then we have one of our, one of our nurses who investigates and can find, you know, if the patient has ever had bad behavior before, is there any jail history? Is there any drug history? And then we make an informed decision whether it's safe to put this patient on opioids for the first time or return them to opioids if they violated the contract they had with us. So there's
1: so much more to this than just being a quote unquote doctor. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more, which I had no idea.
2: Yeah. And, you know, really it's a reflection of our practice because we have so many people working in this area to make sure that we're doing things correctly and safely and to the letter of the law. Yeah.
1: But I think it also goes to the times that we're living in as well, that your practice actually has to do this.
2: Correct. Right. There are so many more forms to fill out. There are so many more hoops to jump through. Yeah, it's difficult, but we are committed to our patients and we're doing it, although it's painstakingly tedious and involves a lot of people.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So, what percentage of your patients are over 50?
2: I would say more than 50% of the patients are over 50 and because patient, because people are living longer, they're Sorry. going to be afflicted with the normal things that people do. You know, your, your spine as well as all your joints are going to age. So there's going to be more people out there with arthritis trying to stay functional for longer periods of time.
1: Right.
0: Renee, when you see patients, what is the um, breakdown in terms of, I'm trying to say this in a nice way, like... <laughs> What what are like the percentages first male versus female I'm interested in, but also Mm -hmm. does what they do for a living contribute to the fact that they're in your office if they're if they're in a more physical career versus someone who may be more of like a white collar person? Right.
2: So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll address the, how that breaks down. So in our practice, we have a lot of elderly patients, the Medicare population over 65, mm-hmm. because they're affected with spinal stenosis, which is arthritis of the spine. Although I don't have the exact numbers, I say it's more men than women. And that comes from more men are physical laborers than women. Mm. Our biggest groups sense. are, um, you know, p- patients who get injured at work elderly patients and, and then routine, you know, more routine things. So I think it's the physical laborers and the elderly patients make up our biggest patient population. But Randy, getting back to your, what we don't see is more of the white collar patient, the patient who, um, you know, it breaks down with socioeconomic class. So higher socioeconomic class, we don't see that as much because it's those patients that have the disposable income who can go to the chiropractor, who can pay out of pocket for massage or acupuncture Mm -hmm. and are more invested in keeping themselves well or more educated and know that they really shouldn't smoke. Mm.
1: Interesting. And that goes to um, another question that I have for you is, What can people do to protect themselves from chronic pain above and beyond, I guess, the what you had just mentioned now? So the massage and the acupuncture is helpful, but are there other things that people can do at home on their own for themselves?
2: Yes, yes. I always say that if everyone exercised, I'd have not that many people come to my office. So I think exercise is key because as we get older, right? Medicine has added years to our lives, but the exercise is going to add life to our years. Absolutely. So exercise is critical and, and healthy diet, right? That's, that's so critical. And then some other basic things that people really, um, Underplay is good night's sleep. Oh, you know, your body needs 7 to 9 hours to rest so it can recuperate and regenerate and recover from the day. And sleep is so important. But however, our society often values the person, you know, who is a genius or works really hard or so successful and only can only needs to sleep 4 hours. Well, that person is not doing themselves any good.
1: Right. The expression I'll sleep when I'm dead it's not a good expression.
2: <laughs>
1: we should not live by that.
2: No. You we know, should value seven, eight, nine hours mm. of sleep a night. Yeah.
1: yeah. I do now. I didn't before.
0: Right. Going back for one second to what you were talking about before, how the um the socioeconomics play a role. And I was thinking of my own situation. So I have been sitting at a desk on a computer for many years, 30 plus years. And I was in chronic neck, back, shoulder pain, lower back, upper back, you name it. I had it. No knees or anything like that, but a lot of back and neck pain. And I felt like I was just like turning into like a, a fossil, like I was Ooh. calcified. And I went for a massage back in September. And the woman said to me, you're so tight. I can't even really massage you. You need to do something or you're going to be like crippled.
1: Oh my. And I was yeah. like,
0: that is not OK. So I found something called Stretch Lab, which is a new thing that's cropping up all over. And I've told you about this, Renee, <laughs> um, where it's assisted stretching. And you have, a they call them flexologists, and they literally stretch you and you lay there. And I mean, you have to participate, of course. But you know, I might do a yoga pose, they might, you know, put one arm above your head, and they pull the other arm just to get your whole body kind of stretched out. And, and I didn't know if I was getting better, except for the fact, well, yes, I had much less pain. But I didn't know if I was like getting better. And then the other day, my daughter said to me, you know, you're walking so much better and you look lighter and you look like you're more comfortable and you don't look like you're in pain. And I was like, wow, it re- it's it been six months since I started seven months. And so I'm just kind of reiterating what you were saying about doing things that, that you know, I I chose to take that that chance to try to help myself rather than the last thing I wanted to do is start taking pills, right, for pain. And I knew right. that that was going to be a potential problem. So I just... And it's been great. So there are lots of things out there you can do to help yourself.
1: There are definitely things that you can do for, to help yourself. There is an expression that I that I have been hearing a lot of lately. And Renee, I don't know if you have heard this, but I'm assuming you have. Sitting is the new smoking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. we need to get up. You need to get up out of your chair Even if it's for five minutes every hour, just to move your body. Yeah. Just to move, Mm -hmm. just to do something because things like this are going to happen. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you found that. I had never heard of it until you had told me about it. Renee, did you hear of that
2: before you spoke to Randy, before she told you about it? I think it's awesome. No, no, but it makes so much sense because sometimes you can't stretch yourself As well as someone else, you know, you need that extra set of hands and they could get the stretch a lot better.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a combination of a massage and yoga and it just, it really just, whatever it is, it just, it gets the, it elongates those muscles that have been contracted for so long.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I started, I had 10% mobility in my body. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my God. And I was like, is that the lowest number you've ever seen? And he was like, no. So, oh. I, I, don't, I haven't tested it again recently, but I know it's more than 10%. Well, do you still have pain? Very rarely. And
1: there you go. That's all that counts. <laughs> exactly.
0: And I don't take any pills. So, that's the good news. That's, and that's the even better. <laughs> well, thank you, Renee. That was super interesting, Story. helpful, well. and yeah, thank you.
2: So, Renee, let us know how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, so, um, my my practice is called New York Spine and Wellness Center, and the and you write and not the, not the symbol dot mm. com. Um, you could get to my website. You can check out New York Spine and Wellness, see what we have to offer. Um, all of our bibli- we have eight doctors and 24 nurse practitioners and physician's assistants in our practice. Wow, we help a practice. lot of people, um, throughout the upstate area. Um, And you can see what's out there, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see everybody. Um, If someone wanted to come and be a patient or get a consultation or an evaluation, we're open for that. But at least if you go to the website, you could see all of the procedures, all of the things that we can do short of surgery to make you have less pain, make you more functional.
1: I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Thank you very much for sharing this with us. Appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And this, this podcast is about supporting women over 50. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, if you have something you'd like to share, if you have a topic you'd like to discuss, please visit us, reach out at uh, no don't visit us reach out to Ugh. us because we don't have a website not <laughs> yet or a Facebook group we're yeah, not there yeah, yet yeah. Strong, right. yes. <laughs> reach out to us at strongbadassandover50 at gmail.com and
0: we're sponsored by Donna J Wellness personalized
1: coaching programs
0: created for you based on your challenges and your goals sign up for a free consultation today at www.DonnaJWellness.com. And we are out from the swamps of Jersey. Thank you, Renee. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you.